This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about Matt Frivola being out of his fight this weekend, but the good news about it as it relates to the protocol around COVID-19. We'll also have a couple of interviews today. We'll speak to Gray Maynard and why he is now talking about fighter pay issues, plus Jim Miller, who fights Roosevelt Roberts this weekend. He stops by to talk about his 35th UFC fight. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays right here at 1 p.m. East Coast time on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. And don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. First, and I won't say foremost, but maybe in terms of the news cycle foremost, Gray Maynard is going to be here at 1.30, so in about 30 minutes' time on the show. He has, I mean, I think he's basically retired at this point. I'm not entirely certain, but... He basically has been getting out there on social media and making a big cause about the lack of appropriate fighter pay. And when you hear about some of the numbers this guy got for some of his major fights, I mean, he literally is part of one of the most important trilogies, certainly one of the most important lightweight trilogies uh, in the sport's history. Uh, and you hear what he gets paid for it, it'll shock you. And so like, there's a big question, about, like, why is he coming out now? And what does it all mean? So we'll talk to him. Plus, I, I promised we were going to lean into Saturday's card. We're going to do that as well today. Uh, Darren Till has gone after Mike Perry, which is kind of funny. Chael Sonnen came up with three names that would be great fights for Anderson Silva to retire on because he only has two of them left, so you could pick two. I think all three are great choices, and I want to talk about them. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. That is your number to call, and we are on Twitter, at MMA on Sirius XM. Of course, the uh, channel for uh, the Instagram account, or the Instagram account for the channel, rather, I should say, is Sirius XM Fight Nation. All right. Happy Thursday to everybody. Weekend's almost here. Cobb, very quickly, what uh, level of opening is New Jersey in? Are y'all still phase one? I think we're still phase one right now. Like you can go to a bar, but only if it's like 25% seating outdoors. That's it. That kind of a thing. Something like that, too. I know some of the bars down the shore have started to open, too. Um, But yeah, I think we're still technically phase one. I have to look. Yeah, I, I think I don't leave my house, so I don't really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the same. So, I mean, for me, uh, we are still in phase one here in the nation's capital. We are rumored to be hitting phase two on Monday, but, you know, I guess we're going to have to see about that. Um, so I'm looking forward to maybe a little bit of extra capacity. I got my uh, I was telling Cobb this, you know, listen, we said this on the show, man. You know, you got to live your life the best way you know how. For me, I just don't understand the argument for not slapping a mask on and just going about your day. It's not that big. A, it, it's really not that big a deal. And and by the way, they seem to work really well. And you couldn't explain what happened in Japan without it, right? I don't know how you could possibly do that because they had basically the same scenario as Sweden with ten times the population and a fifth of their deaths. It just is. I don't. I don't know how you get there without the mask. Anyway, neither here nor there. Adidas sells them on their website, and I got a couple. They're super comfy, so. Uh, They came in the mail. I tried them on. They work really well. I was pretty happy with it. Neither here nor there, though. Uh, Speaking of masks, uh, because we live in a strange world now that we didn't live in and seems like in February, COVID-19 is ever-present. So before we get to the leading topic of the show, let me just do this. We have, it's MMA-related and COVID-related, unfortunately, but we have some breaking news. Breaking news. So I regret to inform you that uh, I've told you Saturday's card is great. Uh, It still is great, but there's a bit of a problem, which is that Matt Frivola uh, is out of his fight against Frank Camacho for this weekend. Uh, This was I I would consider to be one of the more highly anticipated fights due to the fact that, you know, Frivola is sort of like a just an engine that just won't quit. And Camacho, you know, is very much a bite down on the mouthpiece and let's go kind of a fighter. But here's what happened. Uh, Billy Quarantillo, who is Frivola's teammate, tested positive for COVID-19. Now, you may be like, ah, Billy Quarantillo, that's a familiar name. Right. He fought for the UFC at the Apex facility on May 30th. So, you know, who the hell knows when he got it? Who the hell knows how he got it? Uh, it, The good news for Matt 
is that he tested negative twice. You might be asking, well, if he tested negative twice, why did they remove him from the card? My, my hunch, and I do not know this, this is very much a guess, uh, I believe that there can be a stage um, of exposure where you may not show up on a test. And so they might be doing this out of an abundance of caution because that could be true for anybody. But I guess it might be especially true that they know at least somebody he's been in close contact with had it. Uh, I guess uh, Quarantillo's asymptomatic. So here's what they wrote for Volo on Instagram. The UFC has pulled me from my fight due to one of my cornermen testing positive for COVID-19. We did everything possible to make this fight happen. They tested me twice and both results came back negative. I also provided proof of my positive antibodies test from April 30th. Uh, so I guess he already had it, but the UFC did not want any liability or to risk it being that there is a lack of knowledge on the incubation period and still so many unknowns regarding COVID-19. They decided to pull me because of the positive test result from my teammate and brother, Billy Q. He's been a huge help and source of support throughout the camp, and I have no hard feelings. He's hundred percent healthy at the moment. It feels fine. So he must be asymptomatic. This is a crazy situation. Everything happens for a reason. I'm on weight and prepared to the fullest. I was excited for the fight with Frank, and I told him if they find a new opponent for Saturday, I'll be rooting for him. If not, I'm willing to rebook this fight ASAP whenever he wants. I'm sorry to everyone who was excited to watch me fight and supports me along this journey. I really felt the love. So a couple things here, um, if I may. Uh, and then, by the way, Quarantillo wrote, I'm heartbroken for my guy Matt Favola, who worked so hard for this fight and now has had two fights canceled because of COVID-19. Two weeks ago, when I fought in Vegas, I was negative for both tests. Since then, I've had no symptoms, and if I did, I never would have gotten on the flight to corner Matt. Still, without symptoms, I will stay safe and stay away from everyone until I'm negative and the isolation time is over. Hopefully, Matt gets taken care of and gets another fight ASAP. So let's sort of unpack this situation here a little bit if we can. Uh, I'm going to view this as largely good news in the sense that, I mean, it's not great news. Look. Here's where you can look at this as some good news. And we talked about this yesterday about people complaining, you know, Dana White saying, oh, they really have hammered us for trying to go out and do this. No, we hammered you for going out, going out and trying to do these shows a certain way. But I think this is. I don't know how you could have a, a problem with this unless you just believe all shows should stop. Now, if you believe that and that's your position, fine, I suppose. We can argue the merits of it, but it's at least consistent. I don't believe that all shows should stop. I believe they should do whatever they can to make them safe. Here is where the good news comes in. Number one, they're probably going to book Matt Frivola pretty quickly. You've seen fighters go on these cards, and then they win, and then they're back on a card in two, three weeks, a month later, right? You're seeing this all the time now. My hunch is that they'll get him back into rotation pretty quickly, right? So that's not great for him, but I don't think it's disastrous where it'll be another six months or something. I don't think it'll be that case. So that's something, number one. Number two, you know, in Florida, they were saying, oh, we caught Jacare before we went out there, but they didn't retest everyone after before they went to the facility. Here, it's now Thursday, they've discovered this, which gives them time, and they already will test everybody again on Friday or Saturday, I think after the weigh-ins. So now we do have an effective screen in place. We can isolate these people. We get another round of testing after this. And listen to what Matt Frivola said. I tested positive and I had the antibody test, but they just don't know enough about this thing where out of an abundance of caution, they're just going to say no. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been super critical of the UFC uh, relative to that April 18th show that they attempted. I was wishy-washy, but generally not against the shows in Florida. I've been much more heartened about the efforts in Nevada. I got to tell you, I think UFC is handling this great. And I give them a round of applause. And I mean that sincerely. Because I feel bad for Matt. Who does not feel bad for Matt? Everybody feels bad for Matt. But I'm fairly confident in saying they're going to get him back in rotation. Fairly confident. Uh, and I also believe that this is, this is the kind of caution that has to be shown to do these kinds of shows in this kind of environment. You have to exercise this kind of restraint. Again, is this perfect? No. Is it possible that somebody could sneak through the cracks, get sick and compete sick and get others sick? Yes. As long as you are hosting shows in this kind of environment, that is a risk that you are running. On the other hand, um, 
I am very heartened to hear that they are doing things the way that they are doing them in this particular sense. This is what I wanted. This, this is this, ladies and gentlemen, back in late March, early April was what I was asking for. Put enough barriers in place so that by the time the fights happen, you have a reasonable belief that no one there has tested positive or, or has contracted the condition. Isolate the ones ahead of time. Have enough rounds of testing that you can screen them out early enough. So we're not even have to, he doesn't have to worry about cutting weight for the weigh-in, right? Doesn't have to compromise his immune system. This is what I'm talking about. This was what we were picturing all the way back then. And it took the UFC's initiative, which I grant, and it took the commission's probably an abundance of safety at this point, right? I mean, I don't think that they're doing this, you know, uh, I don't think they think that every rule they have is needed. They probably have overkill on their rule books as a method to address these issues. But this is what I'm talking about. This is it. People always want to say, oh, you're so critical and you're hard on UFC about the COVID stuff. Well, I was, but I don't have any need to be here. In fact, I think the need at this moment calls for a degree of gratitude. And, and, and if they do a good job, you should say it. So I'm saying it out loud, folks. That's a good job. That's what I'm talking about. You can keep this up. Uh, you can do a lot. This week on World of Basketball, Hall of Fame head coach Rick Pitino joined the show, and he spoke about the crazy, intense Panathinaikos-Olympiakos rivalry. Duke Carolina would be a church league game compared <laughs> to Olympiakos Panathinaikos. First, first and foremost, your bench is shielded with yeah. <laughs> bulletproof glass, and then you have a net around the court so the hooligans can't throw things. And, and this year, my owner had to leave at halftime because he was threatened with a guy holding a hand grenade. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. This gentleman has certainly been making a lot of noise on social media. I've been following what he's been having to say, and I said, you know what, we got to get this guy on the show. Uh, one of the true great lightweights of our sport, and uh, you know, it certainly has an interesting perspective on fighter pay these days. He joins us now on the hotline. It is Gray Maynard. Hi, Gray. How are you? Hey, what's up, man? Glad to have, uh, glad to be on. Yeah, thank you for making some time for us, Gray. So I got a million questions for you. Let's just start here. Um, what has prompted yep. you to be speaking out now about these issues? Did something happen? Or uh, explain to people why this has been something that you have taken up as a bit of a, a cause. You know, um, like as an athlete, you get uh, focused on just competing, right? Getting to the best level, uh, being prepared for a fight. It's it's tunnel vision to, uh, to an extent. And, um, you know, that's why you have managers and agents to take care of other stuff. And uh, you concentrate on training and competing to the best of your ability to make the most you can, right? Um, and uh, I've had an opportunity to kind of step back away. And obviously it's bothered me, like, all the time, you know, throughout my career. And... Um, you know, but, but being in it, you know, you want to be, you know, tough and, and, and just keep grinding and keep working hard and, and doing, um, whatever you have to do and being able to step away and to help coach athletes and to help kind of see the sport, you know, on a whole from an outside, uh, point of view, you know, as a coach and, a friend and, and, uh, you know, not an athlete. Um, it's really bothered me. You know, I see people just struggling, you know, actually paying to be in actually paying for their camps, you know, coming, you know, coming up, uh, with a loss, you know, and money to compete for the, uh, to keep, to compete for them. And, uh, you know, seeing these actors, actresses, um, pro athletes getting paid dividends, you know, off our blood, sweat and tears when they have a union to protect them. And, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of money going through a lot of numbers coming out. And, 
Um, you know, first and foremost, I fight. I'm a fighter. I always have been. And, um, you know, I'll stick up for them. It's, it's, you know, for me, it's easier to stick up for other people, you know, than to stick up for my, to, to kind of stick up, uh, for myself, like at the time, you know, and, um, just want to be there to, to spread the word, get out as, you know, get out the information, the stories to, to help fighters coming in to help people who, uh, kind of check out the sport to, to understand like what's going on. Uh, great. Let me do a back up a step here. Please forgive my ignorance. Uh, if I am wrong about this or if I don't know, are you officially retired? And if so, what are you doing these days? Um, I'm not officially retired. I, uh, I parted ways with the UFC in 2018 and um, my wife was in her master's program and uh, we've been getting through with that. I've been coaching, um, still having, uh, um, you know, still haven't completely retired. Uh, you know, just took a little bit of a break because, um, you know, I wanted to take care of uh, family and, uh, you know, a couple other goals and, um, uh, starting to get back in my mind, you know, that I do, you know, I am going to compete and, um, you know, I still feel great, you know, body the best yeah I've ever been. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the plan. Got it. I just wanted to make sure what your, you know, your status was Gray yeah. Maynard uh, joins us here on the Luke Thomas show. Okay, Gray. So there's a lot of different moving pieces about this. So I'm going to ask you questions that people always ask me because I try and publicize these issues and I'll put my cards on the table. To me, the argument for yeah. fighters being underpaid is airtight. I mean, I, I don't even know how you could argue with it, but people try. So here is one right. question I get all the time, which is Gray. Why didn't you say anything while you were competing? Okay. And so you're under contract, right? You're under contract as far as, um, uh, um, you, you, you can choose not to fight, but you can't go anywhere else to fight. That's called being under contract, right? You're stuck with the UFC. They're going to offer you a fight contractually because they're in contract. And if you turn that down, they can extend that contract saying you're hurt. You didn't take the fight that was offered and, uh, you're under contract. You know, if, um, it's, you know, it's not like a plumber who, uh, you know, is going to come to your house and fix a, um, you know, whatever it is and then go, wherever else, you know, that's, that's not how it works. You're under contract with the UFC. You can't go anywhere else. And speaking out is a little tough in that sense to, um, to speak out, you know, against the person that, that, um, you know, controls your career without, without being an employee. They say he's a, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's a 1099 independent contractor, but, you know, we can't go anywhere else. We're locked into contracts and it's hard to speak out. And then we've also, we've also, uh, um, like watched Couture when he stuck up for, you know, a lot of us, he, he almost went broke doing that. You know, they kept, um, uh, dragging it out, you know, in court and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's never played out good. You know, history has never really played out good for, um, you know, a lot of, uh, the guys who did speak up. Okay. So can you give us a sense and we don't, we don't need uh, all the details. We don't have money for our time for it because I got a million questions I want to ask, but right. give us a sense about your career in terms of big fights you had where you knew, you knew that you were being underpaid. Yeah. Well, you look at half of my career, a lot of, um, you know, my fights were main event, co-main event, you know, number one contenders. Uh, you know, I fought Edgar Diaz, 
Huerta, Kenny Florian, you know, all the top names. And coming out of the TV show, we were locked into a nine-fight contract. At that time, um, I was getting close to the end of my contract. I was uh, pretty close to being 6-0, and 7-0 without, without changing up my contract. You know, and then finally I asked them, you know, can we change my contract up? I was on 16 and 16. I had beaten Edgar. I'd beaten Huerta. I'd beaten Jim Miller, Dennis Seaver, um, uh, Joe Veris, one of the quickest KOs, you know, in the history, uh, you know, and it was a big deal. And they only upped me to like 21 and 21, you know, to fight on a main event against Nate Diaz. You know, the number, like all the numbers never added up, you know, but, but what do you do? You know, that's, that's the choice we have is kind of take it or leave it. And at that time, there weren't a lot of places to go. You know, the UFC bought out a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of them and uh, we didn't have too many options. Can you say what the biggest bonus is you ever got and when? I got a bonus, two bonuses of 100 grand. And that was for the pay-per-view title fight on main events, two main events, pay-per-view. And um, going into the fight, now, obviously, it isn't written. It isn't even spoken of how much you're going to get after these. And uh, walking into the cage, I was only guaranteed 26 grand contractually. Didn't know like what was going to happen with the fight, you know, and you don't know if they're going to have a good day or bad day when they're doing those bonus checks. And, and so in my mind, I was walking to that cage only guaranteed 26 grand (laughs) after that fight. Um, you know, I did get a hundred grand bonus back room, um, which it helped out a lot, you know, paying off bills, paying for all the camp stuff. You know, I probably spent well over 20 grand on camp. And then uh, Joe Silva called me after the the fight. He called my manager, and he basically said, 42 and 42, that's your next contract. That's what you're getting. Did you know of anyone at the time who was in a similar position who had a better deal? Like, was there any way to look around and be yeah. like, how come that guy is getting money and I'm not? Well, okay, here's an example. I mean, there's lots of people. I was dealing with uh, Forrest Griffin, Rashad Evans, um, uh, Couture. You know, we all talked about stuff, and and, um, we all kind of knew. And I thought I was going to get a better bonus, but, you know, like obviously I didn't. I heard that's kind of the standard bonus. So after that 42-42 contract, I think it might've been about two or three months, a person who I trained with, um, you know, they, they gave him a, a 52 and 52 contract, my pile. And that it just like, I didn't understand that. I was like, why, you know, I'm happy for you, buddy. But, but why, why, why do I get 42 and 42 after putting on the show of the year? And, um, you know, fighting again for a pay-per-view main event and you get 52 and 52. Hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Uh, great man. Two or three months. Now they also gave him Rory, Rory McDonald after that, but, but still in the long term, he, he made a lot more money than I did. Is, is there any way to figure out how much money collectively you made for the, uh, the Edgar trilogy? Oh, the Edgar trilogy. So definitely for the pay-per-view main events, um, you know, this is not including sponsors. We, we made probably more like off. We, we definitely made more off sponsors than we did contractually, but they also made money off all our sponsors, you know, as well. But, um, but, um, uh, just off the two pay-per-view main events, I made about, I don't know, um, closing in right around 300. 
Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I don't even know what. I mean, you hear these numbers and you just you can't. Yeah, I mean, you hear these numbers and you just can't. I mean, I don't even know. I'm like, it takes your breath away, to be quite honest with you, Gray. I'm not even sure what to say, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what happens. You know, you're at the coffee shop and, you know, a person is like, hey, you're Gray Maynard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fight for the UFC, right? And the next question is always like, like, man, I heard you guys get paid terrible. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we love the sport, though, you know, and then it's, it's, um, it's, uh, would you get paid for that, you know, for the, you know, to go for the title? You get paid like a million, like 500. I know it probably wasn't good. And I'm, I'm like, well, I was guaranteed 26 grand. And then it's just like an awkward silence. Man. <laughs> and they just kind of like walk away. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the, yeah. the current situation. What do you make of the Joneses and the Jorge Masvidal's is, so to speak, uh, and Cejudo's, they're, they're all in slightly different positions, but there's a common thread, as you well know, which is they all want more money. I got to be honest, I, again, Gray, I think their case, their argument for it is airtight, but I just don't know that sitting out in your prime, uh, is that the way to get there? I, I mean, I, I don't know that it is. Well, if you're doing that, like, for a good cause, like, I commend them. You know, we talk, who's one of the most iconic sports figures ever? Michael Jordan? I don't know. Muhammad Ali. Okay. Muhammad Ali, I think, is one of the most iconic. He stood sure. up for races. He stood up for countries. He, he, lost, he lost in his prime, you know, because he didn't go to the war. Um, he stood up for things, you know. He was, he, he. He goes beyond the sport, and I feel like that's what John Jones and George are doing now. It's standing up for what's right, you know, and that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna play out, you know, in the long run, and and you know that's gonna to make people kind of understand them more as a person than just a good athlete. There's tons of good athletes in this world, right? But once you go beyond the sport. That's what makes you an icon. That's what makes you a legend is, is, is being able to, to, um, to, to, to use your, to use your kind of status as, you know, a way to bring good to, to people, to other people, to people who, who, um, who can't speak up. Okay, but let me push back on that a little bit, Gray. Certainly, I understand your point that this is a matter of principle. Fair enough. Yeah, couldn't argue with it. But, I mean, the reality is, over time, people came to see Ali as a figure of, um, you know, uh, importance and, uh, and civil rights, quite honestly, right? Um, but at the time, he right. was reviled, and he did lose those years in his prime as a result of uh, the draft and whatnot. So here's my point. It's like, I get what you're saying about the principle of it over time, but you, I, I don't yeah. know that it gets you more money. And if the goal is to get yeah. more money, I don't see how it gets you there. Yeah, you know, and 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 again, you know, is it about just the money or is it about a bigger picture, you know, of of kind of standing up uh for like what's right and also creating awareness to all these to all the people. There are literally if you think about it, we have rules in this sport to protect a person's health. The promoter has to have insurance. The um, you got to get a blood test. You got to get a physical. Right? We have those rules. But what are the rules that protect us financially? What are the rules that protect us contractually? What are the rules in this sport that protect us? You mean like the unified rules, or you mean like the financial ones? The financial ones. Yeah, there, there, there basically aren't any. There's none. There is not. Uh, a promoter has to disclose what they're paying us. So that, that's it. They have to disclose what they're paying us. Now, they've also gotten around that rule by giving the backroom bonuses, keeping the contracts low, giving the backroom bonuses to keep you happy. That's, that, that's the loophole. That's the only rule that's really, um, 
you know, applied in our sports as a financial contractual in our favor, but they've also found a loophole. Other than that, there are no rules. If the UFC could probably negotiate a person to fight on a pay-per-view main event for a hundred dollars, I, they, they, they legally could. Great. We have a, we have about five minutes left in this interview. So I want to get to some spots. I know you've spoken out about unionization a little bit. Let me ask you a slightly different question. I've been covering MMA during your prime and uh, I'm still here doing it. The MMA media has changed a lot and we have better information from the lawsuit and other places. So I feel like the MMA media at this stage, maybe not when you were competing in your, uh, like against Edgar, for example, but uh, now they do, they're, they're out there spreading the word about um, fighter pay pretty aggressively. Like, is there anything else they could be doing? When you look around at MMA media these days, do you see enough advocacy for these issues? You know, um, it's, it's, it's not advocacy. You know, everybody's for it, right? The guy at the coffee shop asking me that. Um, everybody understands it. Now it's, it's, it's bringing that to light. It's, it's bringing, bringing, you know, awareness, not only to the UFC, cause they're going to do what they can do to make money. You, you know, that's, that's, that's what they're here for is to make the most money that they possibly can. But we need to bring awareness to the fans, which brings awareness to Congress, which brings awareness to rules being implied. I, if I'm late for work, I need to, t- I would love to be able to go 90, a hundred miles an hour, you know, on the freeway, but I can't, right. We need rules in place to protect us right now. There are zero and that's what we we're doing. That's what George is doing. That's what John is doing is, is they're trying to bring an awareness and trying to get it out there because it hasn't been getting out there for a long time. So are you more on the side of we need the Ali Act extended to MMA, which would keep everyone independent contractors? Or are you more in favor of a union, which would grant UFC some monopoly exemptions, but it would also allow for collective bargaining? Both, of course. But right now, the Ali Act is close. It's right around the corner. You know, we just have to keep getting the awareness out, keep, keep talking about this, going to Congress, you know, doing all that stuff. That's a start. That's the quickest start. You know, of course people are getting paid, you know, that, that are, that benefit from unions, actors, actresses, uh, pro athletes who, 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 uh, put the money into our sport and they're getting paid off us, but, but they're protected by unions. Um, you know, I'd love for us to be protected by a union and have, you know, a governing body to speak for us and, and to let us just train. But, um, you know, right now, that's a little bit a longer ways off compared to what the Ali Act is. You know, and I think both of them are great. Uh, have any fighters, either current or uh, former, reached out to you about what you've been saying? Um, you know, like I would never ask, um, a current, you know, person to kind of stick up. That's, that's, that's not right because you never know what kind of repercussions, you know, it like it'll bring on them that again, most of these athletes are just trying to put food on the table, pay the bills for the next couple months. That's it. You know, and I would never want them to be in jeopardy of not being able to do that. Um, former, you know, again, we're in, we were in quarantine and, and, uh, you know, I haven't been getting out much, but, um, you know, a couple of people have kind of hit me up privately and on, uh, and on Twitter, but, um, you know, it's just, I don't know too many people who would disagree who competed. No, I can't imagine that they would. Well, Gray, we're a little bit out of time. I could talk to you about this for a long time. Um, Keep doing what you're doing. We're trying to spread the message as best we can. And uh, if you get back in the cage, we're looking forward to seeing what happens. But thank you for making some time for us on the show today. Yes, sir. Appreciate you having me on.
Yes, sir. There he goes. Gray Maynard. Certainly uh, amazing to hear. 300K for all those fights against Edgar. Can you believe that? That's literally one of the greatest trilogies in MMA, if not one of the best trilogies. Uh, well, certainly in MMA, if not in uh, uh, beyond just a lightweight division. Crazy. The biggest names in the combat sports world are on MMA Tonight. Cody Garbrandt joins us. I got to the title fast under two years in the UFC. Won a world championship. Trailblazed through the top. This time is going to be way more generous, way more sacrifice. And I just said, are you prepared to throw it all in and erase the last few years and what happened and go from there? Once I had that hard part with myself, and, and stop really making excuses or just got back to the hard work. I mean, the simplest fun of hard work pays off. Happy to be back, excited to have those feelings back inside the octagon. Back to loving it and then just working hard for it. Tuesday through Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. This gentleman is an OG of the game and he returns to the octagon this weekend when he takes on Roosevelt Roberts at a bit of a catch weight, which would be kind of interesting. Uh, it is my friend and yours, Jim Miller, joins the show. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, Jim. Uh, real quickly, the catch weight you're going to be competing at is why? Because the it was a short notice fight. Is that the idea? Um, yeah, it. Uh, you know, I I'd reached out to Sean, uh, kind of once the UFC had gotten back and, and asked for a fight, and um, you know, like time went by and I hit him up again, and, and uh, he, he said he could put me on any card. So um, I asked for you know this weekend and. Um, yeah, I, you know Roosevelt just fought, and I guess he he uh, he put on a little bit of weight right after it. So uh, he asked to, to fight at the catchweight, and uh, you know, like when I would have asked him for the fight, I was comfortable fighting at one seventies as well. So um, it, did, it didn't really bother me either way. Okay, yeah. So the extra five pounds, it's five less you have to cut, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey Jim, uh, let's let's set, set the context here a little bit. Your your battles with Lyme disease are are well known. Um, is to what extent does COVID uh, make it worse? Or like, have you talked to your doctors at all about, I mean, you know, uh, you're a young athlete. So in that sense, you're probably on the better end of things. On the other hand, I wonder Mm -hmm. if the condition with your Lyme disease might make you a special case for um, having, uh, you know, it could be be worse for you. What what do you know about that? Um, I don't really know too much about it. Um, you know, in the last probably about two years, a little, little over two years, I've been doing really good uh, with my Lyme. And, you know, I, I still have certain things that, that will come up. You know, I'll get, like, random uh, random like neurological things, twitching and stuff like that here and there. But uh, definitely, like, my symptoms that I had been dealing with for a while there, um, a vast majority of them went away. Um so it's uh, it's it hasn't really been something that's that's on my mind, you know, because I yeah I made some lifestyle changes, uh, you know, trying to trying to eat a lot better, uh, you know, fuel my body better, um, you know. Obviously, I still yeah, if you see my Instagram, I still drink beer here and there, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know, like I, I'm I'm the I'm the type that you know everything in moderation. So um, you know, like I I, uh, I definitely. Uh, go against what is considered like the lime diet, um, in that I eat dairy and I eat grain and, and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, a vast majority of my, my diet is, is, you know, from whole foods and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, like it, it, uh, it hasn't, that hasn't really been on my mind, you know, um, I'm, like you said, I'm, I'm a 36 year old athlete, so I'm not, uh, terribly concerned about you know the COVID thing yeah fair enough uh, these things it's a it's a crazy world you never know how we all fit into it uh yeah. all right so so let's get let's get into this here a little bit man um you know i was thinking about your career 36 years old you've had you know i don't know how many ufc fights at this point 20 plus nearly 30 at this point some absurd amount of fights so the question sort of remains when you're at this stage where 36 is young, but a little bit older, I think you would agree for an athlete, mm-hmm. you know, what is, what is, um, when you think about what you still have to accomplish in the sport, what are you chasing? Um, you know, I'm, I'm chasing like perfection. I'm chasing the perfect fight. I want to, I want to go out and fight perfectly. I want to, I want to, uh, fight to my utmost potential and, um, you know, even some of the fights that I've been in that, uh, that I've fought almost like that, they, to me, it was, uh, close, close, but not, not, you know, not perfect. Um, there's, there's still a lot of things that I want to do inside the octagon and a lot of guys that, 
I just want to share the octagon with, you know, like it's, it's for me, it's never been like, oh, I want to fight this guy and punch him in the face. Cause I don't like him. It's like, I want to, I want to get the opportunity to, to test my skills against him. You know, like the, the fight with clay. I mean, that was like the most excited I've been for a fight, uh, you know, in a little while. I mean, I was, I was, I was just amped up to fight him and, you know, uh, and because I was so excited, I performed pretty well. And, and, you know, I mean, I did get clipped with a pretty good shot, but, but, uh, you know, I got him back. <laughs> so, mm. it, you know, that's, that's what I want. Like I, I, I still want to go out and, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm comfortable fighting guys like Roosevelt guys who are new, new to the organization and, and up and comers that, that want to make a name off of me. Um, but at the same time, like I, I'm comfortable going up in weight classes and, and, and fighting some guys that are, you know, have been around for a while as well. And, and, just matchups that people would want to see, but never have happened before. Where would you say you got close? Not the perfect fight, but where would you say you went out there and you can look back and, and that you just executed the way you had hoped for the most part? Um, you know, there, there have been a few. Um, Fabrizio Camoz was one of those ones where it was like, you know, it wasn't perfect. He, he landed some shots. He took me down or he swept me or something like that. Um, but then it like, you know, I just did what my body was, was supposed to do. And, and, you know, I, I hit him in an arm bar off a setup that I never drilled before that. It just, it was one of those things where it just happened. My body just did what it was supposed to do. And, and that's where I want to fight. I want to fight in that zone. Cause I know if I fight in that zone and, and I can, I can get, you know, any opponent to fight there. If I, if I can push him into that, that spot where I'm fighting like that, I mean, I'll beat anybody. Um, so, that's what I'm looking for. You know, the, the fight with uh, Gonzalez and the fight with Alex White, they, those were, those were pretty close too. Um, where I was, I was relaxed and, and having fun and uh, you know, things just kind of came together, but like the, that fight with Camoza, it was like, you know, I, I did what I had to do against a super high level grappler as well. And um, yeah, it was, that was a, that was a good one. Have you ever figured out like why it went so well there? And then other times you just couldn't get out of there. You know, Cerrone is sort of famous for this. Like sometimes he feels it. Sometimes he mm-hmm. doesn't. Do you have any kind of sense about what allows you? I mean, yes, obviously the opponents are better than the others in certain cases. Okay, fine. But mm-hmm. just in terms of how you feel, is there any way to pinpoint what makes it uh, for a good effort? and What makes it for a bad one in terms of prep? Um, it's not necessarily prep, you know, it's, uh, we, we, you know, I, I've been talking to my coaches about this a lot actually recently. And, and, uh, you know, it's those interferences and some of them you create yourself. A lot of times that's what it is. And sometimes it's things that you, you know, are, are completely against your, uh, you know, out of your control rather. Um, so, I mean, a majority of the time it's just, you get in your own head, you put too much pressure on yourself. You, you, you're like, ah, I need this win. I need, you know, or, uh, what, what's going to happen after this fight or, you know, like if I win this fight, I'm going to, uh, make so-and-so money or I'm going to get this big fight or this or that where it's like the, the, the best that I fight is like, Hey man, let's just go take advantage of this opportunity to step inside the octagon and, and, and be the center of attention for a little bit and show off the skills that I've taken a lifetime to, uh, to acquire. Yeah, you certainly have. So I just did the math on this, Jim. This will be, I believe, if my my adding, if my basic arithmetic is correct, Jim, this will be your thirty <laughs> fifth UFC fight. I have to tell you, that is such an impressive yep. run you've been in. So let me ask you this: Is there any kind of lesson you can tell us about that you have learned through thirty five fights that if you could go back and tell the man who fought David Barron in October of two thousand eight at UFC eighty nine, you could tell him, here is something you should expect over the course of your career. What is one piece of wisdom that has sort of surprised you over time that you have gathered? Um, I it really come back, go back to that last, that last thing, man, stay out of your own head. You know, um, I I've, I've had to deal with stuff that was out of my control, you know, unfortunately inside the octagon and, and I've always been okay with just, you know, rolling with it and you do what you can do. And, and, uh, you know, you sign on the dotted line to fight and you sometimes you got to deal with other, other stuff. Um, that is affects you in the octagon, but is completely unassociated with it. But, uh, you know, there have been those fights where, um, I've put excess pressure on myself and, and, uh, I failed to perform because of it. Um, 
you know, and, and, and that, that really, that's really what it would be. Just, uh, just relax. And, and, you know, it's not, it's not that I have to fight. I get to fight. You know, I get this opportunity. I earn this opportunity and, uh, you know, have fun with it. You watch football, American football at all? Not, not too much. No, no. You, what you said, just, uh, I don't know if you know who RG three is. He was a uh, one-time yeah, famous quarterback. Yeah. He, uh, he said exactly that thing once in an interview that like, that's the way he looks at training. I don't have to train. I get the opportunity to train. I don't have to compete. Yeah. I get the opportunity. It's sort of this, uh, it's this position of gratitude. I think that comes from a degree of yeah. maturity from the experience or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, like it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool to have gotten to this point. You know, I'm, I'm trying to make the most of it. Are you still, what's your brother up to? I know he hasn't fought in like five years. Is he still trained with you? Um, not too much. No, he, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's doing his own thing now. And, and, you know, he, uh, when he had that neck surgery, uh, he tried to come back from it and, you know, he, he banged himself up like a few weeks before the, the fight and stuff. And so it was kind of one of those things that he just needed more time to, uh, to heal, um, from having the bone fusion and, um, so he's kind of, he's, he's back again. I mean, he could, if he wanted to, but, uh, you know, I try, I keep nudging him to try to get back in the gym and beat up some of these, you know, big young kids that we got on the mat. But, uh, yeah, he's doing his own thing. You know, I, I remember, you may not know this gym, but years ago I cut a television pilot in your, this was, this was your gym. So if this was your gym, it was, man, I want to say 2010 or so, something like this, so maybe 10 years ago. And uh, I forget who your instructor was. He had glasses. What was his name? You were a tra- jujitsu guy. Uh, J- Jamie Cruz. Jamie Cruz. Yes, yeah. Jamie Cruz. Jamie yes, it was Jamie Cruz yeah. there. Uh, was it true that for a time around that area, was was Amanda Nunes training with you guys for some point? She was. Yeah, yeah, she was. So what happened there? Um, you know, she came in. She trained with us for a few months. Um, she's a freak of an athlete i mean <laughs> you know like you, you knew that she was special um did and, you know back uh, then were you, she, were you back she, then were you hold on because we've had dean thomas on the show her coach and dean is like mm-hmm. listen i know coaches come on here and they say hyperbole about their fighters i'm telling you she can spar with men not just like you know light sparring yeah. she can go hard in the in, on the feet because of how hard she hits did you guys have a similar sense about her power back then uh, 100%, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, she, she's just, she's a, she's a different woman. Um, you know, uh, you typically like me personally, I, I don't, I don't get to spar with a lot of women or I never did, uh, before. Cause they're always so much smaller than me. So, um, but like our, our smaller guys that would spar with, you know, the women, it, you know, there, there's a, there's usually like this little unwritten rule <laughs> about, you know, putting your weight into punches and stuff like that. Um, but like Amanda would, I mean, she would just bite down on her mouthpiece. And um, the time she was training with us, uh, Jamie Vardner was also training with us. And like, there was a day that everybody talks about where the two of them were sparring. And it was just like, holy shit. And like they're, <laughs> they're just winging, you know? And like, and it's like, here's this like former, you know, WC world champ and, and Amanda, and they're just going. Um, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was just awesome. It was awesome to see. Yeah. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that one, man. That is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know how I remember that, but I, I vaguely remember that. All right, real quickly, let's talk about this fight here before well, we still have some time. Roosevelt Roberts, man. Um, you know, listen, the guy's good at pretty much everything, right? Still new and wet behind the ears. Certainly does not have the experience you do, but when you sort of assess the challenge, what do you see in him? Um, you know, I see a dangerous dude. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that he's stepping up, asked to fight me, um, I've always felt super confident in those fights where it's like, Hey man, I got nothing to lose. And, uh, you know, he's riding a bit of momentum. So that's there. He doesn't obviously doesn't want to lose that, but, uh, you know, he's, he's fighting the guy that's been around for a while. He's fighting the guy that that's fought, you know, former world champs and future title contenders and this and that. Um, so like if I was in his position, I'd be like cloud nine, you know, ready to go. And, and, uh, and that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting a guy that's, that's, uh, you know, just ready to go in there and, and, and be dangerous and, 
and come at me. Um, so it's definitely not like it's definitely, I, I never look over anybody, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'd focus on what's right in front of me and, and that, and that's that. Um, there's never been, you know, anything like that, uh, you know, looking over guys or looking beyond guys, but, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a tough, he's a tough dude. He's, he's got a good guillotine, uh, you know, very solid boxing and, and, uh, you know, he's a couple inches taller than me too, which is never fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not, it's not a fight that, you know, I'm, I'm uh, just looking past. Uh, last but not least, give me a uh, couple of Jim Miller-approved beers. Ooh. Um, my, my favorite, like, go-to is uh, uh, Founders All-Day IPA because, um, you know, like, they're, they're light enough where it's like, you know, you're not, you're not drinking one or two and getting, getting a buzz going. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I like a lot of those, like they call them like the session IPAs and stuff like that. Now, um, I've always been a fan of like some Sierra Nevada and stuff like that. Um, you like the hoppy beers, huh? There's, uh, I, I do. I, I prefer, yeah, I prefer, uh, something that's a little hoppier or just, um, I'm not a big fan of like the, the heavy yeast flavors. So like things like Belgians and stuff like that. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that type of oh, stuff. So, um, wow. We have Jim, we have completely opposite taste in beer. That's funny. <laughs> well, that's perfectly all right. <laughs> yes. You know what? There's a beer for everyone. That's what I always say. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, exactly. Well, Jim, I hope you get a chance to toast one, uh, looking forward to your fight on Saturday and uh, your 35th Thanks. UFC fight. That is truly a remarkable run that you are on. And I'm glad to hear you're in good health. So, uh, thanks for making some time for us. Can't wait for your fight. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.